Hey everyone, it's Mike. We wanted to take a few minutes at the top of this episode to pay our respects and pay homage to the incomparable Arlene Sorkin. Arlene, who had been a part of the Batman animated series since its inception, had passed away this weekend at the age of 67, losing her battle with multiple sclerosis. Arlene was an incredible voice, an incredible talent, and she was instrumental in creating one of the most important comic book, cartoon, you name it, characters ever, and that is Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, a character that was created for Arlene to perform as for this show, Batman the Animated Series, by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. And as the legend goes, there really wasn't much characterization of Harley when she was first created. But they wanted to do something with Arlene, so obviously they named the character Harlene, and they based it off a character that Arlene had played, uh, who was a clown. And when she stepped into the role, they realized there was so much more that she could do with this character, and she gave so much life to a character that might have been a one-episode-and-done type of character, and created a legacy that has really gifted us with one of the absolute most memorable and most incredible comic book characters of all time. Losing Arlene is a huge loss to the Batman community, to the comic book community, to the cartoon and animation community, because Harley really is one of the most important animated characters of all time. We wanted to pay respects and and pay kind of honor the legacy there. And uh, it's a double hit, right? Because earlier this year, we had lost the incomparable and the incredible Kevin Conroy. I wanted to uh, pay that tribute in a way that might come off as silly, but in the end, uh, I think ultimately it's the best tribute that we can give to this incredible character. Good night, Harley. May he rest in peace. Welcome to the Batman Tasticast, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the greatest animated television series of all time, Batman the Animated Series. Our podcast offers a deep dive into each episode and a full series retrospective from two nerds who really like Batman. Seated across the table from me, he's my co-host in the day and in the night. Night and day, you are the one. I don't even know if that's how that song goes. Very Very nice, but I'll take it. Okay. What do you got for me? And across the table from me, he's my bat dad, 
Jordan Hume. I'm your bat dad. I didn't even say your name, did I? No, Mike Staub is I'm my Mike co-host. Staub, yeah. Mike Staub. You, know you the, should know that by now. We've had so many episodes. The uh, the pot company. It's episode 49. The pot company, and I mean the company that makes the cooking utensils um, with my last name on it. They pronounce it Stobe, and I almost threw my phone across the room. Stobe. Stobe. Like There's S-T-O-B-E-I. No o. Don't, even, don't even start. I don't know. And then a German. I met a German guy, a, tr- a trombone player at Long Island Retro Gaming Expo this weekend. Right. And uh, he he was a German trombone player, and he pronounced it Staub, which is probably the Staub. right the, probably the right pronunciation. That sounds authentic. We'll get more into the German in the next episode. <laughs> that's, that's the next episode. But uh, this Nazi, is this, Nazi people. This is a good episode. Yeah, listen. Today we're covering season one, episode forty nine, episode titled "I Am the Night." I uh, am the night. This is a tremendous episode. Fantastic. It's really really good. Uh, it's one of the best in the series. And we'll talk about the ranking later, but uh, certainly one of my favorite episodes. It's, I think it's terrific. It's a heartbreaking episode, man. It's, it's tough. It's tough. It, it is a. It, this is a. You know, kind of like perchance the dream. Yeah. It's a more mature. Um, really, just like this episode kind of breaks you. A yeah. Bit. We can actually launch into the first topic off of that. Yeah. Every superhero, and you and I have followed many of them. Every superhero has the storyline where it's like basically fuck, I don't want to do this anymore, right? And that is, every superhero has that. So this is, I Am the Knight, and at least in the animated series, is basically like Batman's, like, you know, Batman no more. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's like we, the, I'm thinking of the the classic, I think it's John Romita, right? John Romita Spider-Man cover, where yeah. he puts the, uh, with a with a Spider-Man suits in the trash can. Right. And he's walking away, Spider-Man no more, another one, another classic is the thing this mm-hmm. man this monster like yeah. uh those are some really just classic stories you know you usually don't get it from batman because his force of will and his sense of justice usually pushes him over the edge to yes. be able to get it together but in this episode seeing batman as human as he's ever been uh and just really really great stuff um yeah in the pre we- in the pre-show i was saying like this is simultaneously the least batman we've ever seen batman yes. and the most batman we've ever seen batman yeah it's, it's, it's really like it shows you like where there are holes in the willpower of batman yeah. no no know? absolutely and you know it shows how we don't typically see batman's personal life get threatened by his villains right he does a very good job of kind of separating himself and Batman's life from Bruce Wayne's life. This is obviously something we see more commonly with a character like Spider-Man, where oh, totally, the yeah. best Spider-Man villains are are those who both impact <laughs> Peter's life. Mike just winked at me. That's right. We'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah, yeah we'll talk about who uh, who you know kind of threaten Spider-Man's personal life as well as his superhero life. Now with Batman, we don't get that that frequently. Maybe. Maybe League of Shadows, right? Or right. League of Assassins or whatever you want to call them, Society of Shadows, which we'll talk about in episode 50. Or, you know, you know, Hush kind of. Hush a bit, yeah. but Hush never had a big enough impact no, outside no. of his story. Um, Catwoman, maybe. Right. But like even so, still. Even no, I still. agree with you. The arch enemy of any hero is the the villain that threatens both the alter ego and the hero himself. Right? Absolutely. And now we're going to launch into a sidebar that I didn't realize we were doing. This no, episode. no, no. We don't have to do this. No, we're doing it. All right. We could do it. Friend of the show and future guest. Yes. Larry absolutely. Brenner. Larry La- Brenner. Larry, brilliant, we love brilliant you. man. We love brilliant you, man. Is occasionally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he, he posted on Facebook and Larry always posts like these really amazingly intelligent yeah. uh, Facebook posts that we all look forward to. And he said something along the lines of, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing Larry, 
Sorry, Larry. He said something along the lines of, I'm, one day I'm going to be on a talk show and they're going to ask Jeopardy. me. Oh, on Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Okay. And the question, dream, yeah. Okay. The question is going to be, who is, or the answer, I guess, because it's Jeopardy. The answer is Spider-Man's arch nemesis, right? Yeah. And the implication of Larry's status was that he thought it wasn't Green Goblin. Oh, it is. But it is. it is. Larry thinks it's Dr. Octopus. Well, I understand where you came from. Uh, we had a conversation back and forth. And on Facebook, I was a little... See, I have this problem where my sarcasm doesn't always read in person. Right. And it really doesn't read in text. So I, I did I did make sure that I, I let everyone know that I am being humorous and uh, also sarcastic. But his he and I had a chat back and forth. And it was a great chat. And he's obviously someone who understands these characters and um, has a really good grip on on storytelling and, and comic books and comic book heroes. Um, his, his point of view was that it was Dr. Octopus. And we didn't get fully into it. And I really would love to sit down and talk to him about it's it. It's like, not sure. a wild claim. Dr. Octopus is but number two. Doc Ock is like the clear number two. Well, he's like 1.5. Now, it also depends on which Dr. Octopus we're talking about. Otto, I assume. Well, no, I mean, I mean which version of Otto they're using, right? So if we look at the Spider-Man video game from 2018, right? That is a Dr. Octopus that does affect Spider-Man's life and Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man's life and Peter Parker's life because Spider-Man and Otto in that world, like Otto was his mentor and his teacher and his boss. He worked for him and then, you know, obviously he goes bad. We see it in Spider-Man 2. Like if we want to look Ra- at the, the Raimi 2. Yeah, if we yeah. want to see Spider-Man, if we want to see the Raimi 2, arguably the best superhero movie ever made, you know, uh, which also uses the plot of Spider-Man No More, by the way. Of course it does. Yeah, yeah it's in there as well. Well, to the point where like his life is so he's so tense and anxious that he yeah. loses, loses his powers, his powers. Um, and he gives up. He puts this. He, we have that scene in that movie um, that octopus might be better. But when you go and you think about it, you know, in Spider-Man 2, he has a personal relationship with Peter Parker and he has this relationship with Spider-Man. But at the same time. Otto is almost like not a villain in that movie. He's almost kind of like a tragic hero that Spider-Man has to stop because what he's doing is dangerous. Right. Norman Osborn. Now, granted, I, I know one of one of the comments Larry put was that Norman Osborn was gone for 27 years and then that's it. And I, I get that. He wasn't Green Goblin for that long. But, but the shadow that, I guess, his mask kind of uh, casts over Spider-Man's life. So... We also, the comics couldn't even exist without a Green Goblin. They had no, to plug they had, Harry in for all those years. They had to plug Harry years. in. They had to plug other people in. Um, they had to uh, take a, uh, the Green Goblin archetype, dip him in symbiote, and turn him into carnage. You got Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin, who's yeah. yeah, whatever him too. Uh, I love the Hobgoblin. And so, so here's here's my 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 argument for for Norman. Um, respecting Otto, I love Otto Octavius. I think he's one of the best comic book characters ever. He is arguably one of the best Spider-Man ever. Superior Spider-Man is oh, yeah, a fantastic yeah. comic yeah. book. Superior Octopus is probably also a great read. Um, <laughs> we didn't read it. I, I did what? I, I didn't read. I didn't yeah, read Superior Octopus. I certainly yet. didn't. No. And Superior Spider-Man is coming back, which I'm very wary. Wait, of. is Superior Octopus Peter as Doctor Octopus? No, I think Superior Octopus is just Otto is back. Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, My story would have been cool. Yeah, yeah, no, no, good, right? Coming to a how about this pitch well, near you? Well, the thing is, is that you know Otto Otto was more of a menace for for a bunch of years. I mean, running the Sinister, Sinister Six, you know, the Master Planner, you know, marrying Aunt May, all this stuff, like. It does affect Peter's personal life, but I don't think Otto knows his identity at that point in time, and I might be wrong about that, but I don't know if he does. The thing with Green Goblin is that 
Spider-Man has a couple of... That's a Batman podcast, but whatever. Spider-Man has... We'll, we'll get back to I Batman. might spin this out into its own little short. Spider-Man has... Spider-Mantastic cast. Um, you don't have to spin it out into a short. Our Batman listeners will tolerate this. That's fine. They better. So Spider-Man has, as a, as a hero, he has a few moments in his life that completely impact him both as Peter Parker and as Spider-Man. The first being when Uncle Ben gets shot. Now, at this point, he's barely really even a hero yet. He's kind of trying to make money off of having these spider powers. He's turned into a pro wrestler. And his selfishness at that point in time turns into, you know, this terrible, terrible kind of sequence of events that kill his mentor and his hero, Uncle Ben. And that pushes Spider-Man or Peter Parker to be a better superhero. It pushes him to be like, I cannot let this happen again. Very similar to Batman in this episode, right? Very similar to Batman in I Am The Knight, where he's so worried about his family being affected by by him being a superhero, and he can't be there to help them, which we see with Jim Gordon in this episode. Now, that's one of the key moments. The next key moment, which I think has even more lasting impact than anything else that's happened to Peter Parker throughout all of his years, is Gwen Stacy well, dying. Well, that's it. Like you, you could, you could argue, have just said that. Yeah, but what I mean is, it's I'm trying to just be like I'm trying to give you the the moments. Like Buried Alive is another big one, right? So, the night Gwen Stacy died is where moment, were you, Mike? Where, where were, were you? you? Where were you when Gwen Stacy died? <laughs> I, I'm not born. Um, the night Gwen Stacy died. Okay, so classic art, cla- uh, classic writing, right? Written by Jerry Conway and uh, drawn by Gil Kane and John, R- John Romita. Just classic Spider-Man stuff. It's in 1973, so Spider-Man has been a comic book at this point for 11 years. And The Night Gwen Stacy Dies is, is a two-parter, which at that point in time was still kind of rare, right? It's a two-parter. It's, yeah. it's Spider-Man 121 and 122. Right. As the story goes, we all know the story, right? Green Goblin uh, takes Gwen Stacy to the top of the wa- uh, the, Was- the George Washington Bridge yep. and drops her mm-hmm. off the Washington Bridge. Uh, Gwen Stacy is going to fall to her death. Spider-Man tries to save her. He webs her around the ankle and he pulls, mm-hmm. breaking Gwen Stacy's neck and killing her. Yep. This is a moment in comic books, and I've got chills right now talking about it. This is a moment in comic books that so greatly impacts the hero. Yeah, it's a reverberating moment. It's a moment that will follow and haunt Peter Parker for the rest of his days. We do kind of see Batman go through something similar in this episode. And I, I'd be, I'd be, I would have to say that the, the comic books, you know, the night Gwen Stacy died, had to have influenced this episode in some way, shape, or form. Oh, no doubt. Uh, uh, but listen, uh, yeah, it, it's it's Green Goblin, and, and you could have just said the Gwen Stacy thing. But we yeah. could also just say, listen, Doctor Octopus is much bad as he's done. He's never done anything that affected Peter Parker the way that that did. No. And also, uh, Norman is Harry's father. That well, was, that's what I was Peter's say best too. friend, right? Yeah. So, so Norman is kind of responsible in some way, shape, or form for the, obviously the death of Peter's real true love. Right. Like we love Mary Jane. We all love Mary Jane, but Gwen Stacy is supposed to be his, his, they're supposed to be together. And, you know, when she dies, Peter's response and Spider-Man's response is, I can't let this happen again. 
I can't be close to anyone. Mm-hmm. You don't have the end of Spider-Man No Way Home where he decides that, you know what, it's better if they don't remember me. Yeah. Because just knowing who I am puts their my my closest friends and the people I love in so much danger. And that all traces back to this comic book and Green Goblin's responsible. He was responsible for, for Gwen Stacy's death. Maybe not like, you know, whatever you want to say. Well, Spider-Man, blah, blah. She would have died regardless. And then his, and then he pushes his son to essentially turn into his father. Yeah. And also assume the mantle of the Green Goblin, something that will drive Harry to his own death. Right. So not only is Norman Osborn responsible for the death of Peter's love in terms of Gwen Stacy he's also responsible for the death of his best friend yeah like indirectly sure but that's Norman and then he goes away for 27 years and he comes back in Revelations and comes back is the number one villain immediately right and the Revelation story kind of shows you how he's been behind the scenes at least canonically at the time for for many of the events in the Spider-Man books for for that long he might join some weird cult and all that other stuff but we're not gonna get into that yeah there's some stuff that's been written now there's no Gwen Stacy children happening with please no please no that's the worst (laughs) you know and and we won't talk about that we won't talk about that I love I love Gwen Stacy as a character um, I think she's amazing. I'm so happy that they kind of saved her from that nonsense with Spider, well, yeah, Ghost I, Spider. I love that we live in the time of the variants. Yeah. And they're like, hey, there are other worlds in these. And here's Gwen live and well elsewhere. Give me the Emma Stone movie, though. Yeah, I think she's I, I think, think she's, she's aging out she's of it. aging out Because we want a younger sure. hero. Same, same thing that happened with Toby and with Andrew. I know. They're going to go for but, a younger still, person. But that's why that moment, too, in No Way Home, which might be one of the best, like, acted, like, Amanda always talks about this, and, and obviously this is not a Spider-Man podcast. Oh, Andrew Garfield. When Andrew Garfield yeah. grabs Mary Jane, yeah. he's got a moment there where he's like, I did it. I did it. And he has like a... He goes through like six emotions. Oh, like, it's, it's, it's the best moment in the movie. It's yeah. a brilliant performance. Yeah, it is. Because the reason why he is who he is at that in, in this movie, the reason why he's the brutal, awful, over it... Yeah. He's... he's the, <laughs> He's the uh, he's the Danny Glover, right? Spider Man of that bunch. Too old for this shit. But and he even says it like he goes, something bad happened, and I got brutal, and yeah. I started hurting people. And when he catches MJ, right? When he catches uh, MJ from falling, he has kind of a realization like I can be a hero again. Yeah, I I have it in me. So granted, yes, he's saving Mary Jane, but for all intents and purposes, he's saving Gwen Stacy. It's all Norman, baby. And that's where I'll stand. Oh, yeah. But Mike, do you know that spiders have eight legs and octopuses have eight tentacles? So yes, it I has know. to be him. It has to be. Eight on eight, baby. All right. Eight of everything. Allegedly, this is a Batman podcast. Egg on my face! <laughs> Not a glove. Wow. We're going to get back to Batman now. But Sorry, uh, I hope bad. we all enjoyed the Spider-Man tangent. Do we ever want to do a Spider-Man show? No. Okay. Uh, I'm sure we will looking for projects after this one. But the way the way we've set up Batman Tasticast, this project will never end. Um, things I would like to talk about in this episode. Let's take a look at some topics. I think one of the coolest things is that in this episode, uh, just talking about in terms of like <laughs> just existential things that Batman is tackling. Yep. One of the things Batman fans always bring up is sort of the revolving door at Arkham Asylum yep. and that, you know, like no one that Batman catches like ever stays arrested. Yeah. 
No one that he stops ever really is stopped for good. The fans complain about this, like, oh my god, the Joker's out again? How does this keep happening? Batman, the character, is going through the same struggle. Of course. He has the same frustrations. He's contemplating this episode. Is anything I'm doing actually helping? You know, he actually says at one point, yeah, I've, I've put out a few fires. I've won a few fights. But what does that amount to? You know, what is the sum total of my work? Um, and I think it's it's heartening to hear that he has the same frustrations with his own existence that we have about the existence of the story. It's just like, mm-hmm. well, what can this guy really do? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's the, you know, I respect Batman's um, code to not kill. Yeah. But at the same time, these guys don't say in. The Jazz Man. It's a bad name. It's, bad. it's a bad name. He's, Up front, we should say it's a bad name. He's a bad name. He's a bad character. I like the character. You he's, like the character? I do, because it's Jack Palance. Well, yes, it is Jack it's, Palance. The character is blatantly Jack Palance. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It is. And, um... All right. Gordon's got pay. Yeah. <laughs> the jazz man is bad. The fact that he puts his guns in guitar cases. Like, that's a 40s it's, character. It's a bad character. Jimmy the jazz man. I'm convinced it, and I didn't do any research, but I'm convinced it's, it must be a character from the very early time in the it's comics. It's gotta be. You know? It's gotta be. And he's one of like the, the gangster characters, yes. and that's just like his deal. Yeah. But no, it's it, what is Batman doing? Is he doing any good? But he's going to send Gordon to Harpland. Yeah. Because it's a music pun. Yes. Just yes. letting you know. Yeah, I, I, I remember. Oh, poor Gordon, man. I, I love Gordon. Gordon, this is um, our second episode in a very little while where Gordon is like the victim character. Yeah. Right? It yeah. happened to him in Heart of Steel. It happened yeah. to him in What is Reality. It happened to him again in this episode. Yeah. No, Gordon, They're just like putting Gordon in trouble. I mean, he is the chief of police. Well, because he is the surrogate for Thomas Wayne. Yes. Right? Well, Batman pretty much says it. Yeah, he does say it in this episode. He's the surrogate character, and Batman... One of the big things that comes to light in this episode is that Gordon is the same age that Thomas Wayne would have been, right? So I think we can assume that's somewhere in his 60s, maybe, yeah. right? And so yeah. Batman thinks of him as a father-type figure. Also, Gordon bears a passing resemblance to Thomas Wayne. He's got the mustache and the all that. Jaw. The strong jaw. So, yeah, I think I, I see where Batman has that like fatherly feeling toward him. Yeah, I yeah. get it. Which makes it even weirder that he dates Barbara later, but that's that's only in some versions. Hey man, listen, that isn't that it's is weird. canonical to this universe because oh, they had a history in Batman Beyond. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. I, it's weird, dude. Listen, it's weird. I haven't watched Batman Beyond in a while. We're gonna. I gotta start cracking some of those episodes. We're gonna. Yeah. I know that like we're only however long through this, but like that's happening. We're almost at fifty episodes, dude. We're almost at fifty episodes. We're less than halfway. We're still less than halfway. Yeah. 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 But that's okay. That's okay. Um, you get Robin in this episode too. For a we bit. do actually Dick. Robin, yeah, Dick Grayson, and a little, little, a little bit of Robin, Robin. One scene of Robin. Uh, he's the sort of least annoying he's been. Yeah. He's actually like a bright light in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he tries to be. It's a good episode. Yeah. Uh, for that reason too. Um, yeah, I did want to mention before I forget later. Um, the episode is called "I Am the Night," and of course we know that's a famous thing that Batman says. I am vengeance. I am the night. I am Batman. That was actually first quoted in the series in the episode "Nothing to Fear." Yeah which is an early Scarecrow episode. In fact, it's the first Scarecrow episode in the series, so it was nice to see that come back around. Um, also, this episode seems to be a soft sequel to Appointment in Crime Alley. Yes. Well, that because, is an episode yeah. also featuring Leslie Tompkins, and it's an episode that ends with him placing the two roses at his parents' uh, site of death in, in Crime Alley, and that's what starts this episode. So we can assume that or this is... Or basically starts it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can assume that this is a year later. Yeah. Right? 
if if in if in appointment of crime alley he he, he drops them every year right I think he drops them every year on the day they they died. Yeah. So this is so we know that the series at least has been, he's been going through this for at least a year. Yeah, they keep the passage of time very soft. Yes. Um. But uh, yeah, that that this yeah. seems to be an annual tradition, and of course Leslie is waiting for him in this episode, yes. so she knows what's up. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was nice to see Leslie again. Yeah, uh, I do. She, I do like her as a character. Yeah. Um. One of the few who knows who he is. Yeah, and then I just wanted to mention, I think this episode has some of the best dialogue I've ever heard. Yeah. That conversation, and I listen, I never give Dick Grayson credit for anything because I yeah. hate that character and that performance, but <laughs> in this episode, I think the, the Dick Grayson Batman stuff is the best stuff. Yeah, That dialogue stuff is, is terrific between them. That conversation that they have, which is all intercut with um, Jazzman's escape, I know, I know, I know, is great. Is, is really, really good. Um, and then also we get uh, a little bit more of um, Barbara pre-Batgirl in this episode, but yeah. she's really edging up to where that's going to be. I feel like they um, give her a little less to do in this episode she, than they did in the last one. She has way less to do. Heart of Steel, she was basically Batgirl Yeah, she already. was pretty much Batgirl. Yeah. Did this air before Heart of Steel? This aired... I think so, this right? Was, this was broadcast order number 34, which is pretty early. I yeah. don't remember what Heart of Steel was. So it aired 39 and 40. So yeah. yeah, so this one, this one still first. comes before Heart of Steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, in, in production order, in uh, broadcast order. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, we we basically hit all my topics that I wanted to discuss, like separate from what we're just going to discuss in the plot of the episode. Um, yeah, I think we're gonna hop into some IMDb trivia. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Yeah. So, uh, here we go. While this may have been unintentional, the jazz man's appearance and low-key mannerisms may have been based off of a younger Jack Palance. And in the Batman mythos, of course, Palance played Carl Grissom, the mob boss in Tim Burton's 89 Batman. 100%. That's actually, like, it's, it's basically unmistakable. You. Um, yeah. Uh, Batman reveals... He's a pretty good Jack Palance, Mike. Uh, Batman reveals that Commissioner Gordon is the same age as his father would have been, Thomas Wayne. Um, This implies that Batman sees Commissioner Gordon as a father figure. Not something really established until this episode, just something I think we assumed. Yeah. Um, The police radio at one point in this episode uh, says that the suspect has been sighted at the corner of Adams and O'Neill. Fans of Batman comics will recognize the names as pivotal uh, creative team members, um, Neil Adams and, and Denny O'Neill. Uh, I think we should, you should all know Neil Adams. Of course. Um, and Denny O'Neill, quite famous as well, who got the Batman character back to his darker roots in the 70s. Ooh. And then this is, okay, so Mike is right. So if we are going in broadcast order, which this podcast doesn't, but you might be, this is the first appearance of Barbara Gordon if you're in broadcast order. And it makes sense. Yeah. Because she is, like you said, they're edging her up to being like, hey, we're going to see Batgirl yeah. soon. But like, if you if you take a look at, you know, Heart of Steel, she is Batgirl. Yeah. She's yeah, Batgirl yeah. without right. the suit. Right. Yeah. 100%. Um, and then finally, Batman's line to Leslie about having promises to keep is yeah. a reference to the final lines of Robert Frost's poem, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening, one of my favorite poems and mm-hmm. one I teach. Every year in my English class, um, but the line, the exact line is, "But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep," which is thematically perfect to this episode for reasons we will discuss during the episode. Yes, um, is that is that you've analyzed that poem? Yeah, is that death, about yeah. suicide and death? Yes, right. Yeah, pretty yeah. much certainly. There are multiple valid interpretations, and I do believe that poetry should have multiple interpretations, but it, it seems as if the the rider and his horse 
Uh, they stop by the woods. He looks into the darkness of the woods, which is probably death yeah. or the end of his life, or some would say suicide. Yeah. And he says, no, I, I have more to do. Not today. Not today. And uh, the horse even has kind of a funny moment in the poem where he like he looks confused, like, you sure you want to stop here? <laughs> um, <laughs> and the guy's like, all right, fuck me. All Wilbur! Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, 100%, it is. The, the woods very likely represent death. Some would say suicide well, and death. Yeah, and the woods is always uh, some sort of metaphor, right? And pretty much all literature yeah usually not for death no usually, usually the change, woods right? are a place of exactly right uh change transformation discovery reunion uh not often death but they are in stopping by woods and i, I think the snowy evening gives us the key there too because in in nature winter usually means death, death yeah and it's like oh if you're stopping by the woods in winter you're there to die when yeah. he when batman says that line i have i have um what do you say I have, but i have promised this is a keep i finished it while i was sitting there Oh, you, you said it, it out loud. Yeah, I said it out loud. I was sitting there. He goes, I have promises to keep. And I was like, oh, and miles to go before I sleep. Did you say it the same way Kurt Russell says it in Death Proof? No. He gets a lap dance for that. <laughs> but I'm not giving you a lap dance, Mike. Well, he's a teetotaler. Uh, apparently. <laughs> but Stuntman Mike has other problems. <laughs> Spoilers for Death Proof. Okay. I actually haven't seen Death Proof. What? I've not seen Death Proof. We can no longer continue the podcast because Mike has missed one of the Quentin Tarantino films. I know. It's the one I've missed. That's fucking crazy. I know you would it's love crazy. Death Proof. I know I would. First of all, his name is Stuntman Mike. Do you know the plot of Death Proof? Yeah, he's got his evil car, right? Well, he's evil. He's evil. The car is an instrument of his evil. <laughs> yeah, but his name is Stuntman Mike. Dude. And it's Kurt Russell. We may have to watch at least the first half of that movie tonight. Sure. It's I'm very down. short. Oh, it's like an hour long. It's short. Well, no, it's longer than that. But the, the first chunk I'll show you is short. All right. And you'll flip for it. Oh, I bet you I'll love it. All right. I think we're going to get into the episode. Unless we, we just want to talk about Quentin Tarantino and, and Spider-Man, Spider-Man some more. Now, that's a movie I want. Oh, my God. Quentin Tarantino, Spider-Man? Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Does the rhino look like a bitch? <laughs> I feel like in that movie, Samuel Jackson has to be Jonah Jameson. Oh, my God. Actually, Samuel Jackson's Jonah Jameson would be amazing. <laughs> I, know, I know. He'd be so good. I'm all for that. <laughs> Too bad he's already Fury. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, here we go. Mike, this is season one, episode 49, production order. I am the knight. Title card, a very simple lettering over the lit silhouette of a fallen body. It's confusing because there's no way to tell who that body is. Of yeah. course, that's intentional. Yeah. We will yeah. come to find out in the episode that it is Gordon. Well, that's a big moment in the episode, too, right. when you don't want to give that, that Gordon's been yeah. hurt. Uh, this episode is directed by Big Boyd Kirkland. Yeah, Big Boyd. And it's written by Michael Reeves, uh, a writer who I often have issues with on this show, but this one was good. All right, we start with a long pan over the dark walls and tunnels of the Batcave, uh, finally finding Batman brooding in his chair. Uh, my film study skills tell me that the reason why we do the long pan over the dark tunnels and the walls is we're supposed to be in Batman's mind. Yes. Uh, Alfred approaches with a worried look. Um, Batman says, I'm tired, Alfred. Yeah. And Alfred is concerned that he hasn't eaten that day. And Batman says, a weary body can be dealt with, but a weary spirit, that's something else. Clearly, Batman is capital D depressed. depressed. He's depressed. Gotta get this guy some, uh, I don't know what you get take for depression. Uh, alcohol. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's usually what people do, yeah. right? Strict nine. Um, 
He's depressed, but like more than usual. Because I feel like Batman's always depressed. Yeah, but he's like grumpy, angry, depressed. Right. This is sad. Not Eeyore. Now he's Eeyore depressed. Nobody knows what it's like to be the sad man, to be the Batman. He's truly the Ben Affleck meme in this one. pushing Pushing the swing. He's reading a depressing headline, Penguin Conviction Overturned. <laughs> and I think there's like even like a sub caption where it's just like, ah, oh, yeah, the judge fucked up some evidence, which has got to be yeah. like, that's got to be like the headline every day. Yeah. Um, Joker released on a technicality. I mean, somebody else's banana peel. Part of this episode, yeah, exactly. Part of this episode when they talk about the jazz man is how to get him out of prison easily. He, and he gets out so, so easy. easily. Yeah. So easy. I'm like, Fuck I think Gotham's this. got better things to worry about. I guess so. I don't oh. know. Oh, oh the jazz man's getting out. Well, Joker just blew up a hospital, guys. Right, exactly. There's priorities, right? Yeah. All right, yeah, Batman, he's very despondent. Uh, we've actually never seen Batman this despondent. He's had moments of anguish. He's had moments of sadness, certainly. He's even had moments of madness. But madness. we've never seen this particular depression no. cast over the character before. No, it's, it's, it's seeing a, a hopeless Batman he's hopeless, yeah. is awful. Yeah. Well, and in that moment, I, I actually realized, I was like, wow, you know what? Something I don't often think of when we're defining this character is how much he is representative of hope yeah because that's what we usually associate with superman well that's the s that's what the s means on his chest uh yeah well let's not it get into hope. that uh, no it means, it means superman it means hope it's the s for superman it's the, the s first for letter hope. in superman is s it's actually soap <laughs> it represents soap i can't deal with this shit tonight yeah. okay <laughs> listen the S is for Spider-Man. You, Let's talk more yeah, about Spider-Man. Right. Do you like that Superman kills Zod in that movie? Because once Superman kills someone, then he can just kill anyone? I don't like that movie. Yes. And I don't like that he kills Zod. No. Um, I think it's right that people were upset about it. Because what do you do when Superman starts killing? He can literally kill anyone. I thought it was a typical edgelord move yeah. from a typical edgelord director. I wouldn't. I don't even know if he's an edgelord. <laughs> he's more like frat boy-ish. Same thing. Yes, yeah, it's Jack, man. Same thing. No, me. no, no, dude. Edge frat boys and edge lords. They're totally different. Okay. Frat boys are like, yeah, yeah, you can be both. You can be both. Uh, frat boys are like, yeah, let's get jacked, and Superman's gonna kill people. Edge lords are like people who really like. Jeez, oh, you're not gonna get this, but uh, people who really like the broody characters and everything. Like, um, I understand what that means. No, 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 no. I was gonna bring up anime that you'd rather not hear. <laughs> I already don't know. The, yeah, exactly, what exactly. It's the Sasuke fans out there for my uh, Naruto. Don't know what that means. Naruto watchers. Anyway, I'm trying to think of like what's an edge lord character. Mike Alfred gives Batman a long package. <laughs> it's his long package. Yeah, I was like at first I didn't realize I was like, well, what's in there? Yes. I was like, oh, yeah. I um, actually, for a hot second, I was like, oh, is it his mother's like pearl necklace recovered yeah. or something like that? But, of course, it was the more obvious roses, yeah. which we'll reveal later. Uh, next scene, we get an establishing shot of the busy street at night. We get a handsome young man. He's a short guy. Um, he's asking some passersby for some change. He looks and sounds like Michael J. Fox. Yes. But you, I, the credits, he's actually Seth Green. Yeah, young Seth Green. Young Seth Green. So this is not too long after, like, the It TV movie. Yeah, and before Greg the Bunny. Before Greg the Bunny. A few years. Not that many. Well, Greg the Bunny was, like, what, 2001? Oh, is that that late? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like so. 10 years, I guess, before Greg the Bunny. Yeah. Um, this is a very young Seth Green. But the character and just the way Seth Green sounds, like, got very Alex B. Keaton vibes from him. There was one time where at Comic-Con, I was dressed as Zombie Spider-Man. And uh, nice. Seth Green came up to me with a camera. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. You, know, you, you remember this story, right? Oh, I do. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I was Wasn't on... he also dressed as Spider-Man? No, 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 no. He was going to a robot chicken panel, and he oh, had a okay. very old 
very old like camcorder on him and I didn't realize it was Seth Green until after the fact. So he walks up to me. He goes, "Hey, hey, uh, what are you, Zombie Spider Man? What are, what's going on here?" And I went into like zombie rights. Mm. Uh, I went into this like rant about zombie rights and how like <laughs> you got to stop killing us and shooting us in the head and stuff. <laughs> and our friend Travis, who was dressed as a comedian, was like, "Dude, it's Seth Green. You got to get a picture." So there's like a picture of me off camera. With, like, our friend Travis, like, getting a picture with Seth Green as he's taking a video of me. Yeah. And then apparently Seth Green runs away, goes to the robot chicken panel, and the first thing he talks about, he's like, I was talking with zombie Spider-Man out there, and we got to ease off on the zombies, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Friend of the show, Travis Youssef, made a great comedian, by oh, the way. He was, fantastic that was a terrific comedian. cosplay. So good. So good. Very good. Like, 20 years ago now. Yeah. Man. Was that 20 years ago? Don't it's, tell me that. It's, it was 2009. It wasn't 20 years ago. It was 2009. Ago. That's pretty long. It's pretty long. So, it's like 14 years? Yeah, it's yeah. a long time. Yeah, Fuck. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting yeah, old. But no, Travis was a fantastic comedian. He was a great comedian. If you listen to And he really, show, like, acted the part. He oh, yeah. Was really, he, really into yeah, it. Smoked a cigar and all yeah, that stuff. I love it. Uh, Yeah. All right. Uh, yes, we get this Michael J. Fox-ish character. We'll come to know that this character's name is Wizard, and he is like a young criminal kid, like a con man. Yeah. Um, we For cut a gutter to a, snipe. He's a gutter snipe. We cut to a dark street where Bullock and Gordon are hiding behind a parked car. They seem to be on a stakeout, maybe. Yeah. Bullock wants to nab this perp now, but Gordon wants to wait for Batman. And they mention a criminal called the Jazz Man. There's a local shop where Batman memorabilia is sold, yeah, like a stationary shop. Kind of weird. And um, there's like a bunch of young, uh, like there's a kid buying a Batman hat or something. Yeah. It's like a bunch of Batman like figurines in the window. And the young man just kind of scoffs. He's like, Batman. Uh, and put a pin in that for later because actually Batman talks about this and how much he hates it. Well, I mean, Batman should hate it. And he does. Cut <laughs> to crime alley. <laughs> Dr. Leslie Tompkins is waiting. So we've we've established Leslie in some prior episodes, yeah. particularly an appointment in Crime Alley. The background we have on this character is that she was literally there yes. the night that the Waynes yes. were killed. Yes. And, you know, in, in our canon of this show, she's really the only person that, like, holds that little boy yeah. in the moment after the parents I mean, are killed. And then I don't know if it's canonical to the show. Uh, but it has been now canonical in the comics that Jim Gordon's the reporting officer on I that mean, crime scene. But I don't think he's in the flashback in Appointment in Crime Alley. The, the three most important people to Bruce Wayne's life, really, outside of, I guess, the way he views it. Alfred, like, Leslie, Jim Gordon. Alfred, Leslie, and Jim Gordon. Now, obviously, you can add Dick Grayson to that. Yeah, Barbara oh, but Gordon, they came but, later. But yeah. later. But, you know, these are, the, these are essentially the three people that provided some degree of comfort you know right. for for um for bruce wayne when he was younger and they're incredibly important pivotal characters in right. his life also we see that's why jim gordon's so important to him uh, in this episode yeah. we see that in in the batman yeah when you know batman sees the the mayor's son yeah right? i think the batman does a nice job with that I, they do a great job with that because batman is looked as they look at him in that movie as a freak and a monster. I think the but Nolan films also do the young Jim Gordon at they, the Wayne's they murder do. as well. They do. I think they yeah. do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so in my head canon, but I think also pretty well established in comics, this little eight-year-old boy's parents are killed. And, and those are really the people that are there for him in that moment. It's Dr. Yeah. Tompkins. Yep. It's Alfred when he goes home. And, yeah. and the officer that is kind to him and 
is trying to work through that is I think then Lieutenant Gordon. It would probably be Lieutenant Gordon, full full head of red hair. Full head of red hair, not not the divorced dad vibe yet. <sighs> he still has a family at oh, this point. Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, <laughs> Jim Gordon. Have you seen the new season? Uh, no, because I'm I'm actually a full season back oh. right now. I'm looking at his his mayoral candidacy oh, going wrong. <laughs> so so just as a, a light spoiler to season four of Harley Quinn. He becomes a security guard at the Legion of Doom. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's real bad. Yeah. It's it's hilarious. That is very funny. So, yes. Leslie is there. And um, Batman reveals the contents of the package. We now know it's the two roses. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is a very, very famous site. It's one of the most iconographic things in Batman is him laying the roses on the grave of his parents or on the spot in Crime Alley where they fell. Um, and then we have the next scene. The young man, again, wizard... Uh, he rounds a dark corner. He's accosted by two goons, Willie and Monk. Uh, and these guys can't wait to just fucking beat this kid up for not paying them for, quote, unquote, his spot on the corner. I don't know. They're running some kind of scam. Yeah, this is some Sopranos nonsense. <laughs> Doesn't Christopher go after that guy in the corner? Yeah. Yeah. Christopher like, goes after everybody. Yeah, he's got a problem. Um, Batman has other ideas. He pulls <laughs> Willie into the darkness. That's actually my favorite thing that Batman does. Yeah. My favorite entrance for Batman ever is always, like, people are doing illegal shit. And then you just see a guy get sucked into the dark. Yeah, he gets collared. And you're like, uh. <laughs> uh, uh. What was that? And well, then Batman, seemingly with super strength, throws this gigantic man into a dumpster. Well, he throws him in the garbage. Right. Uh, and then he uh, he doesn't he doesn't chase down the other guy. He does like a bat lasso, uh, the bolo, whatever. It was pretty cool. Um, and To like show off in front of the wizard. Right. The kid is totally ungrateful. Yeah. He's like, I don't need help from a jerk in long underwear. Um, Batman's already having a bad day. I know. And this guy's making fun of his costume. I know. Um, Batman realizes that the guy he captured, Monk, uh, he actually, when he fell, he crushed the parents' flowers. Yeah. Batman's like horrified. He like has this horrified expression. He's like, no. He grabs Wizard by the scruff of the neck, uh, and he, scruff of his neck, and he, he brings him to Leslie, and he says, you think there's room in the Mitchell Street mission for one more? Of course there is. Yeah, she says, of course. <laughs> we cut back to Gordon and Bullock. Uh, they see a car going into, like, it's like a secret entrance yeah. into, like, this warehouse district yeah. behind a fence that says yeah. keep out. Yeah. So there's, like, a mechanical fence thing going on. Yeah. Uh, Gordon... Uh, just goes ahead and authorizes the raid without Batman. Bullock has been pressuring him and sees no reason to wait for Batman, of course, because he's Bullock and Batman, in his eyes, is another criminal. Uh, this is the police. You men in the warehouse are under arrest. And, uh, of course, they just allow themselves to be arrested and the episode uh, ends. Yep. Oh, it. wait. Nope. No, oh, wait. Hold I on. wrote the wrong thing. Oh, no, man. apparently, machine guns smash through the windows and they open fire on the cops. And we got the SWAT team moving in, and they have, like, a ramming vehicle. Yeah. And they start to ram the secret door behind the fence. Yeah, I mean, they're waiting for Batman, and it's, like, 3 a.m., right? I'm actually not sure why they're waiting for Batman, I guess. Oh, Gordon says so. He says, like, something along the lines He said he, wants of, to, he wanted to be here when we... He, he, he tipped him off. Right, but it was like, they, he's late. Yeah. He's late because he has his appointment in Crime Alley. Yeah. Even though it's, like, 3 a.m. Yeah. Um, Big Apple, 3 a.m. Big Apple. Uh, we cut to the Mitchell Street mission, so I guess they've dropped off the kid. Leslie says, she, in fact, she gives the time. She says, aren't you going home? It's almost 3 a.m. And this is where he drops the line. Very tired sounding. Promises to keep, Leslie. I have promises to keep. Batman quoting Robert Frost's most famous poem about contemplating death and ending things. I mean, I this imagine... This is the headspace that he's in. Batman's got to be... Got to get at least suicidal sometimes. Based I'm not on his sure. Line of work. I'm not sure. 
This is the yeah. closest we ever see him to that. Yeah. Um, and it's not so much suicide. To him, it's a different kind of death. To him, it would be like ending Batman. Yes. But he is Batman, so it is definitely 100% a kind of suicide, but it wouldn't be like a killing himself suicide. No, no, no. Later in the episode, he's going to take off his mask and like throw it into the dark chasm of the Batcave, and I was like, that's almost like a suicidal gesture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Um, Yeah, he's like tossing away the character, right? He's tossing away that part of himself. And it's not even unhappiness. It's like he feels pointless. He's exhausted. Right, he's exhausted. He's exhausted and he's hopeless, man. Right. We cut back to the raid. The men in the warehouse take down a fucking police helicopter like it's Grand Theft Auto. Oh, it's crazy. And Batman finally heroically arrives, and there's like the copter explosion behind I, him. It's, Those men died. They absolutely died. So <laughs> There was I, no parachute no, in that shot. No, 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 no. I also find it really funny that like they took that moment of the helicopter exploding yeah. to let Batman pose in front of the fire, the right. front of the explosion and oh, not look cool. at it. Yeah. It looked cool. It looked cool, but those cops died. Listen, cool guys don't look at explosions. They don't. It doesn't Batman. matter if the animated cops died. Is Batman the coolest guy? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Cut back to Gordon and Bullock behind the car. They're now taking fire and Gordon announces it. He, he feels it was a setup and somehow the jazz man was tipped off and he was waiting for them. Do we ever get confirmation of that we actually don't yeah it's just evident to us to us that that was the case but we don't know who did the tip off yeah 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 uh and it doesn't seem like the episode cares well bullet thinks he's batman right <laughs> right of course he does he thinks batman is responsible like when his like toothbrush goes missing it's batman! <laughs> uh cuts the inside of the warehouse we finally meet the man we meet jazz man who is <laughs> as our imdb trivia implied he's just young jack palance yes from like 40s era movies to the point where like he can't fully keep his eyes open (laughs) right right he's got the like the wrinkliest gangster face he's got the quint squint yeah the clint the clint squint i guess we're led to believe he's called the jazz man because he keeps his tommy gun in a violin case and he says i've been waiting a long time to play taps for gordon yeah. First of all, Mike is his head is in his hands. Folks. There's a reason. There's uh, so is it a <laughs> is it a, first of all? I'm not sure if it's a violin case or if it's a guitar. It case. could be a small guitar. It could case. be a small guitar case, like a jazz, like an acoustic right. jazz guitar. But like, you also don't play taps on a stringed instrument. There were a lot of issues. Taps are play is played on historically a bugle. <laughs> there's a lot of things there. Which is a valveless trumpet. First of all, or a trumpet. Jazz man should be black. Yes. Second, if he is white, it shouldn't be Jack Palance. No. Next, the Tommy gun is not a thing that would fit in a violin case. No. And the violin is not a jazz instrument. And you would not play taps using a violin. No. To the point where jazz violin would almost be like a gimmick. (laughs) Right. You know? Right. Like, we got a jazz band with a violin. Whoa. If you want to be like, he plays the fiddle. But that's what Irish people do. I think he might be Irish. You think so? Jimmy Jazzman Peaks might be Irish. Yeah, it sounds like an Irishman. He could be Irish. Yeah, he's probably drunk. But you know that name. His last name should be fucking Fonzarelli or something yeah. like oh, that, right? Hey. They, they refuse to do Italians on this show for yeah, whatever reason. Yeah, I know. It's like every gangster. Right. Every gangster in this show, mysteriously not Italian. Mysteriously we'll not Italian. We'll talk about the Yakuza. Right. Mysteriously right. no Italian You could have Yakuza, gangsters. but no Italians. No Italian gangsters. Maybe this was in respect to Andrea Romano. I don't know. Maybe she's like, I hate that they're all Italians. All right, change it all for me. Yeah. She wouldn't have cared. No, who cares? It's just, it just funny. They don't use um, no Falcone. Falcone. They don't use Diet Falcone. What's his name? Uh, Maroney. 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 Yeah. Who's in the? Who's playing Maroney now? Clancy Brown. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's about to be Maroney in, in the Batman 2. In the Penguin show, right? 
And in, and in the Penguin Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is Oz. an unbelievable casting choice. But also, Clancy Brown is nothing like Sal Maroney. No, but no, that's no, okay. no, no. I don't care. Where's Mr. Krabs? You know what? Where's me money, SpongeBob? <laughs> Clancy Brown is as much Sal Maroney as Colin Farrell is the Penguin. Yeah, and Colin Farrell did all right in he, that ver- as that version of the Penguin. He's fine. I will stand by, though. John Turturro as Falcone oh, terrifying. Was and also reminded me of your dad. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know what the thing with 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 um, John Turturro is is that in that movie as Falcone, he's the quiet, scary. He's terrifying, and at the same time, John Turturro is never to me. Very rarely does he play a character that's scary. A uh, few and far between. He has a couple roles that are yeah, pretty scary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like like he tries like the tough guy thing is the Jesus, but like. It's played for, like, comedic effect. Well, he's the creep in Secret Window. I don't know uh, that movie, so... Yeah, and he's done that role a few times. Okay, so I'm, you know, happy happy, happy to be wrong here. No, you're not wrong. But I feel like it's out he's of character. He's not known for playing scary bad guys. He's scary dude. He's and usually, like, the affable grump. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But he's also charming as Falcone. He's, uh, he's charming as everything. He's incredibly charming as Falcone. He's funny. And he's funny. And, and John Turturro's a, a great comic actor. Great, comic, great actor. comic actor. He's very funny as Falcone, but he's also scary. But he's also like, you also have respect for him because it's just like, he trusts and respects Thomas Wayne because he saved his life yeah. in that movie. You know, yeah. so, oh. Not the first time, not the last time we praise the Batman on this show. Movie that, movie for it. me gets better and better. And better. I've, the, I've now seen it quite a few it. times. I think it's the awesome. The more I think about it, yeah. Um, okay, so taps for good. Yeah, we cut to the roof where Batman is trying to figure out a way into the warehouse. He drops a bunch of tear gas pellets inside. Bullock is confused. We couldn't get close enough to use tear gas. And then he sees Batman run across the roof. And you know, inside his head, he's like, fucking Batman. What if his toothbrush that stopped working or like he broke was Wayne? Or was a Wayne Enterprises it a, toothbrush? It was definitely a Wayne toothbrush. Because Wayne definitely makes toothbrushes. Yeah. Oral Batman. Oh, man. Oral imagine. B for Batman. Yeah, knocks out your, knocks out the plaque. That's what it would do. It would just knock the teeth out of your yeah, mouth. Because yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. Batman yeah, would that's do. That's what Batman would do. <laughs> I don't kill people. I, I just mutilate them. You know, for those people out there who are following and keeping track, uh, implant teeth are not cheap. They're not te- cheap. They're not very, cheap, very expensive. Very, very yeah. expensive. And the fact that Batman just knocks people's teeth out on a regular basis. Frankly, it's irresponsible. Yeah, I think, I think so. people have to buy bat insurance in Gotham. I, th- and just, I think you, know, you might need Batman insurance. Yeah, you do. Uh, as, bad, as a Batman incident, it's not covered. What happened? I did some jaywalking of Batman. He knocked all the teeth out of my mouth. All I did was double park. Well, did you have Batman insurance? <laughs> Now available. <laughs> Batman insurance. You know some insurance company in Gotham's like... There's 100% of Batman insurance Do you think company. Batman insurance and Joker insurance are two separate things? Mike, there is no insurance company alive <laughs> that would sell Joker insurance. <laughs> they would all be bankrupt. Anyway. We have to pay out $10 million today. Today. Joker destroyed another hospital. Yeah. Great. Um, the jazz man jumps from the back window of the warehouse and he tries to make his getaway in a truck like... Like, basically just the cab of an 18-wheeler. Yeah. Um, Batman spots him from the roof. He pursues. He leaps atop the cab of the truck. Jazzman is, of course, alarmed. Uh, the truck somehow bursts through both that barricaded secret fence and knocks aside the SWAT vehicles. That is some truck. That's a big That's truck. That's a Mack truck. It's Optimus Prime. Uh, it, you know what? <laughs> um, 
Batman eventually halts the truck by... He does, like, this thing where he, like, chains it to his grappling gun and then grapples the nearby street lamp. It's I love when he does fucking that. fucking cool. Yeah, it's the best. It's fucking cool. They tried that on Mythbusters and it doesn't work. He does that trick in... Is it The Dark Knight? Yeah. One of the chase sequences? Yeah, he, like, yeah, fucking yeah. jackknifes a truck with his, yeah. his thing. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, they do the thing on the Mythbusters whether you can use a grappling hook to uh, essentially make a sharp turn. Oh, probably not. And right? you pr- they prove it wrong. So, uh, yeah, the truck crashes... Bullock and his men swarm in. Looks like the fat lady just sung. Or actually, he says it to the criminals. He says, look like the fat lady just sung, Jimmy. Hey, you should see this. And he looks around for Gordon. Oh, man. Then he gasps, seeing Gordon just lying on the pavement. His glasses are, like, just slightly apart from him. And there's a close-up on Batman's shocked, anguished face before the commercial break. Um, It's terrible. uh, If you didn't know better, you'd think, like, uh, Jim Gordon's dead. Yeah, they killed him. Right. Um, oh, you know what's you know what you know what I noticed was 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 big here. Yeah, um, this has happened once before in the ep- in in this series, and it got past standards and practices. When Bullock turns around and sees Gordon laying on the ground, he says, "Oh my god!" Oh, he does say that. He okay. says, "Oh my god," which yeah. Batman says, "My god," once. Okay. Right? Doesn't he say it in uh, Heart of Ice? He says it in Heart of Ice when he reviews Mister Freeze's yes, footage, says, like what happened to he him. Goes, my yeah. god, and. Right. Bullock turns around, sees Gordon laying face down, and this is an out-of-character moment for Bullock. Well, because he's, yeah. Because Bullock is usually kind of like the... He's got the bravado. He doesn't allow himself to become vulnerably yes. emotional. Yes, yeah. And then he sees Gordon, who's probably his best friend, right. laying face down on the ground, going, and he, his response is natural, and he goes, oh my God, and then we see Batman's face. Yeah. Gordon's a father figure for Bullock, too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think, despite Bullock's appearance, he's probably only a little older than Batman. Yeah, probably. I think Bullock's just in his 40s. He just really likes his cannolis. Really likes his cannolis. Who doesn't? Listen, Bullock's a good cop. Ultimately, in the end, I think so. He is. A good good cop wouldn't like Batman. This is what we decided in Vendetta. Yeah. And in POV. Yeah. Right? Bullock is a great cop. He's just unconventional. He doesn't trust Batman. Yeah, well, if you were a cop, would you trust Batman? Probably not. No. And also, if I was a Gotham City cop and I wanted to be successful, I'd probably be Harvey Bullock. Yeah. All right, we we do a, a bunch of quick cuts. We cut to an ambulance, then yeah. to a hospital, and then Gordon getting wheeled into the OR, and you can tell from like the way the surgeons are converging on him, it's very bad. Yeah, BP's dropping. Right. Um, Batman arrives on the roof of the hospital. He's kind of like gliding against the shot of the full moon. Love the that. moon is always full in Gotham, always by the way. Always full. Every episode. We, of course, cut to Summer Gleason on TV. She hasn't been around for a while. We haven't seen Summer in quite some time. Right. No, you're right. We haven't. Um... She's reporting that the police have broken the smuggling ring of Jimmy the Jazzman Peak. Yeah, it's Irish. Uh, <laughs> but the the victory in the drug war came at a high cost. Gordon has been seriously wounded, and the ballistics match Jazzman's guns. We know now that Gordon's been shot. Yeah. Um, Jazzman, during this, gives a brief like live interview to Summer Gleason. He's being led into a squad car, and he says, It was time to pay the piper. Which, uh, no, sorry, it was Jazzman. So he says, It was time to pay the piper. Um, which is a bad thing to say if you're going to go to trial for this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that pretty much uh, points to your confession that you did it. To your absolute guilt. Um, We TV transition to the hospital nurse's station where the nurses are gathered around the small TV that is showing that news report. And inside Gordon's room, we see that he's on a respirator. Um, And also, it is an old-timey respirator. So they've decided that we're back in the 50s again. I guess so. Until someone uses a cell phone. Correct. Or has an advanced computer system and a robot. Yeah. Um, Batman arrives. He thinks he's alone. 
He's saying, Jim, I don't know if you can hear me. I'm sorry if I hadn't stopped in into Crime Alley. Before he can get further, Barbara Gordon announces herself. Um, yeah. Batman asks, how is he? She says, not good. If this is the first time we're encountering Barbara, which would be the case in the broadcast order, it's not a terrific introduction. Nope. We get nothing of her character in this episode really no. at all. But if we're just checking back in with her, it's not so bad. No, so no, actually, no. I like our order better for yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing that doesn't check out if in this order yeah. is that she's not as ready to fight as she is in Heart of Steel. But at the same time, her dad's been shot and she's lying oh, in the hospital. Right. I guess if this was truly after Heart of Steel, she'd be out looking for Jasmine. Yeah. You know, once these She would happens. be on Batman's yeah. tail. I need right. to find him. Right. You're right. I will find you. Um, I will kill you. Yeah. Uh, Batman says, how is he? She says, not good. Then Bullock shows up. Um, obviously, he's angry. And he wants to blame Batman for everything. He feels yeah. Batman should have known that it was a setup and taken the bullet himself, which is a totally normal reaction. Of course. Thank you, Bullock. Uh, and Batman, who we know is already so despondent and depressed, he doesn't even respond. He just leaves. Yeah. He he's exits uh, even after Barbara defends him. Bullock shouts into the night a bunch of things, but it ends with... You'll go down for this. I ain't talking the law. I'm talking you and me. So I Bullock just... is so angry, he will fucking fight Batman and, to the death. And lose. And lose. Maybe not. Batman might just let him win yeah. at this point. Yeah, let him womp on him. Uh, Batman returns to the Batcave. He is sadder than ever, as the music overwhelmingly reminds us. Yeah. Um, and then, Mike, we've, we've never seen this. No. Um, in an unseen, prior to this display of just rage... Uh, Batman trashes his own crime lab. You know, um, and he, he screams in anguish and rage. I've been uh, there. We've never seen that on We've the show. We've never seen that with Batman. I've been there though when yeah. you know, you're just trying to get like two or three creatures out on the table <laughs> and someone just keeps hitting you with a counter spell oh boy. Or, or, I apologize. Or, or a kill spell and you just you, I just need a board and then you draw into no mana. Mike, I can't let you build up that kind of tempo. Do you understand? Because once it. you swarm the board, the game's over. It's for me. over. It's over. Once there's once there's one too many dinosaurs. <laughs> Jesus, too many goblins. Um, that too. There's always more. We've never seen this raw expression of emotion from Batman before. And listen, we've seen Batman get angry. We've seen yeah. Batman cry. We've yeah. seen all kinds of stuff. Yeah. We've never seen this. Nope. Where this totally, totally, usually logic-minded man is just. Yeah. Literally screaming and wrecking the place. If Batman's in that state, you know something is wrong. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's real bad. Something's wrong in we get Gotham. A quick cut to very familiar Judge Vargas uh, informing the Jazz Man that he will <laughs> await trial in Stonegate because the Gotham jail is full. Very funny. That's so good. Um, and then, of course, we get our establishing shot of Stonegate, which we will remember from other episodes. It's still like this hideous battleship looking thing. And now we're inside Stonegate, like in the yard. It's probably sometime later. And Jazzman is telling his buddy in the prison yard that uh, they have enough on him. Like, it's not really going to be a trial. Like, yeah. if it's if he goes to trial, it's the funeral march. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meaning he's going to get the chair. They're going to play taps for Jazzman. Exactly. Jimmy to Jazzman, peak. Jazzman. Oh, my God. Jazzman. Uh, Jazzman's friend tells him to talk to Southside Eddie about getting out. <laughs> of course. Back on the streets and out of Gotham. Of Southside Eddie, of course, from Guys and Dolls. Um, <laughs> but Jazzman's not leaving. Um, his grudge against Gordon is just too much. Apparently, he's going to send Gordon to Harplands. They're really sticking with the musical instrument stuff. Yeah. 
He's still sore about when uh, Gordon busted him six years ago, and he apparently like foiled the score of a lifetime. Well, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be breaking the law. Yeah, stop breaking the law, asshole. <laughs> Which I believe is a quote from Liar Liar. And is true. <laughs> What's up? Your cholesterol. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get an establishing shot of Wayne Manor and a car speeding toward it. We'll find out that it is Dick Grayson. Um, That's nice. And uh, Alfred tells him when he lets him in the house, listen, it's, it's been three days. I've never seen him like this before. So Dick heads down to the Batcave and he finds Batman just wandering about, despondent. Yeah. Batman's guilt is overwhelming him. He feels he should have been there. And then we get the line that really reveals what's at the heart of the matter. Jim Gordon's the same age my father would have been if... Yeah. And, and there it is. You know, yeah. Batman is conflating mm-hmm. his feelings for his deceased father with the dying Jim Gordon. And uh, Dick's words in this scene, but also in all the cuts back to this scene, are very, very encouraging. Yeah. And this conversation is very, very good and very well written. I, I, yeah, I in fact, it's some of the best dialogue I've ever heard on this show. It's really awesome. We do get some quick cuts. We get a cut back to Stonegate where the laundry's coming through. We cut back to Batcave. Uh, Batman is explaining that he uses the knight. He became the knight. And he understands that what he does is part of like a, a bargain. That one day, yeah, he will die. Maybe yeah. it'll be the Joker. Yeah. Maybe it'll be Two-Face. Yeah. But he's worried about letting someone else down. Mm-hmm. Leslie, Alfred, he looks at Robin. He says, you. Yeah. And of course, Gordon's included. Uh, we do cut back to that laundry cart, and we do see that Jazzman is making his escape. He was hiding in the laundry. He escapes through a grate. We get back to the Batcave again. Batman is talking about how he feels like he's become a cliche. This references the toys we saw in the shop mm-hmm. window earlier. He hates that. Yeah. He hates that somehow his persona has become a gimmick or a, an, uh, something to appeal to the tourist. And Dick counters that the city would fall apart without him. I, I think he says something like, maybe, maybe not. And Batman drops this line, which is, this is a kid's show, and this is what Batman says. When you look too long into the abyss, the abyss looks back through you. Maybe it's time for Batman to return to the night that spawned him before anyone else gets hurt. And that's a stunning line. Kevin Conroy crushes it. Destroys it, yeah. Uh, It's amazing. And this is the moment where he also takes off the mask and he throws it down into the pit. Yeah. Of the Batcave. And that's the end of Act 2. It goes to the commercial break after that. I just was sitting there watching this episode like, oh my fucking God. The writing is so good. The acting is so good. It really isn't, doesn't, it doesn't get much better than this. That's an all-timer moment. And I was just like, this is the lowest this hero gets. Yep. You know, the one step beyond this is he's either not Batman anymore or he kills himself. Yep. You know. He's absolutely out of it. He's at the bottom. Uh, next, we come back. We're outside Stonegate. Alarms are blaring. It's the prison break alarm, and the waters below Jazzman resurfaces. Um, we cut to Dick Grayson reading a headline, Jazzman escapes, police baffled, which should kind of mirror the penguin getting away earlier in the episode. Just this hopelessness of, like, no justice ever. Yeah. Um, we do discover in this paper transition, we're back in Gordon's hospital room with Dick and Barbara. It's the first time we've really seen them together. Yeah. And it's obviously... Not- it's not romantic, but we know that those seeds are planted. Yes. Right? Um, Barbara feels afraid following the breakout. She knows this guy's crazy. She wishes she could do something. She feels helpless. And you are right. This is a character regression from yes. Heart of Steel. Yes. If Heart of Steel comes first, which yes. I guess technically it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, Dick knows that only one man can do something about it. He knows um, that only Batman can help. Barbara knows that he's talking about Batman. She voices that out loud. 
And Gordon's beeping life support monitor provides the transition here. We go back to Wayne Manor, mm -hmm. Bruce's study. He's firmly dressed as Bruce for the first time in the episode. So now yeah. he's unmasked and he's staying in civilian clothes. Dick is urging Bruce to do something, but Bruce isn't budging. He isn't even speaking. No, he's not. And Dick is determined, well, I'll do something myself. Yeah, he's um, got to do it. Again, this is probably the least annoying Dick I got to find the jazz man. Yeah, well... It, help, could, it could get worse. Gotta help my bat daddy. Right. Very reminiscent of Robin's Reckoning, where he's like, I'm yeah. gonna get Zuko myself. Yeah. Whoa. And I'm gonna eat a... Grease lightning! <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, Tony Zuko. Danny Zuko. Um, we cut to Robin walking through the extensive vehicle garage towards the uh, the bat cycle? The Robin cycle? I don't know. The motorcycle that uh, perhaps had been previously destroyed and is now back. I don't Some know. kind of cycle. Yes, timelines are a little bit off. Um, and we see Batman's hand on his shoulder. No, Dick, this is my hunt. Um, we cut to the heights of the city. Batman is grappling through, landing next to a gargoyle. Classic shot. And then we move on from there. These are all just very quick little scenes. We just, we're just we basically going through this episode, chop, 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 yeah, chop, yeah, chop. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we are coming into the end here. Um, we cut to Harvey Bullock in his squad car, siren blaring. We know he's searching for Jazzman. Police radio announces that the suspect's been spotted. That's where we get the reference to um, Adams and O'Neill. Bullock radios dispatched to say that he's on it. And then we get, really, it's the last sequence, basically. Yeah. Or I should say it's the last action sequence before, like, an epilogue. We cut to a window washer outside the hospital. Jazzman knocks him out with his own squeegee. <laughs> we cut to the inside of the hospital. It's Gordon's room. Barbara yawns. She's going to go get a cup of coffee. Um, then suddenly, Jazzman's at the window. He's used, like, the, the winch, the lift winch to get him up there. Yeah. Batman shows up, uh, attacks Jazzman. They both go tumbling. Um, I'm sorry. Actually, I think Batman actually batarangs a gun out of his hand. He does, yeah. Because um, he's going to shoot Gordon again. Right. And the shot does fire. It Like, it, it shoots the cable on the lift winch. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, the whole thing goes sideways mm -hmm. to Batman's disadvantage. Jazzman, like, almost, like, kicks him off the fucking hospital. Yeah. Um, Bullock sees this from below, so he heads inside. Barbara reenters, sees this, spills her coffee. Jazzman smashes through the window, still riding the lift. Is that um, when she, like, pulls the 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 hospital, like, curtain to, like, She just pulled it closed, I think, to catch the glass. To catch the glass. And then he comes through anyway. Yeah. Barbara... Oh, yeah, we get, like, a series of quick shots here. It's really cool. Everything suddenly moves in slow motion. Yeah. It's awesome. We got this... Um, we have a guard stationed outside Gordon's room who barges in when he hears the noise. Jazzman closes the door on him and gets his gun. <clears throat> Barbara covers her father's body with her body. Yeah. Then Batman gets in. He reaches for like the steel batarang star, oh, like yeah, basically like his ninja star like on his, his belt. On his belt, the gun moves into place. The bullet moves into place in the gun's chamber. The batarang flies into the barrel of the gun. The gun fires, and Jazzman's hand is injured. Bullock bursts in, takes control of the situation, and then it's basically resolved. Yeah, we return to normal speed. Gordon wakes up and <laughs> asks if the bust went okay. I know his re his reaction. He just yeah. wakes up. He's like, "Did it go okay?" Yeah, yeah. I've been out for weeks, but everything's good. Everything good. Um, Bullock takes Jazzman into custody, <laughs> and Batman assures Gordon that the bust went well, or whatever he says that he's just got to rest. Gordon says, "Got to keep fighting, never stop. It's what I try to live by." Maybe if I was younger, I could have been like you. I always wanted to be a hero. And Batman, like, takes his hand, and he says, You are a hero, Jim. 
And I was just like crying <laughs> watching the episode. Oh, that was a big, like, big man cry. <laughs> Um, I get it. I get it. it. It was. It's a great scene. It's a fantastic scene. It's it, there's it's, there's a lot of heart in this show, man. Yeah, this, a lot of heart. The, loves it. So that's the real ending of the episode. And then we have this beautiful epilogue. Yeah. Um, and we can actually talk about Spider Man again in a moment because this is a very Spider Man moment. Yeah. Batman sees Wizard about to board a bus, and he thinks the suitcase he's carrying is stolen. So uh, he stops him. He confronts him. The suitcase is not stolen. Yeah. It turns out Wizard is giving up on his life of crime. He really listened to whatever Tompkins said at the mission. He's going home. He tells Batman, listen, I'm sure you get this a lot, but thank you. You probably saved my life. Yeah. Right. Gets on the bus. Yeah. Batman feels maybe inspired again. And we get this triumphant final shot. Batman is atop a building that looks like the Chrysler building, which could be Wayne Tower. Could be. He's looking out and we get like his view and like it's clearly like him looking over like his city. Yeah. And we get his silhouette against the light of the full moon, and then he smiles. Which Batman doesn't do much. Right. We get that, is, that grin, the sideways like, little grin. Batman got his groove back. Batman got his groove back, and that's that's the end of the episode. It's a fantastic um, episode, dude. And that reminds me of like the end of Spider-Man 2, when he jumps yeah, up and he's, he's yeah. ready to be Spider-Man he's again. Back. You know, He's, he's back. back. Uh, you know, there's these characters always kind of have parallels right i think that's well, it's so much more valuable when they lose their purpose and yeah. they find it again well you know and also there's a reason why batman and spider-man are two characters that are one always kind of have parallels to each other but two are two characters that are so incredibly relatable and you know it's one of those things where it's like with batman we don't really relate to Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne's this billionaire. He has all this stuff, but that's not really what Batman's about. Bruce Wayne's not relatable. Yeah. No, Bruce Wayne's not relatable for most people, but the Batman and, and his relationship to his city is his relationship to crime fighting can be, you know, his sense of justice and stuff like that. In this episode, he's incredibly relatable. Yeah. It's sometimes hard to get yourself to keep going when things are, things are bleak. Well, so, when yeah. we see like the great men or the great heroes, they're brought low. They remind us of us. Yes, you it's know? like oh well. We say like oh he's he is human. They're human. He's just like us. Human after all, right? Um, yeah, I would say just as my closing thought, um, it was probably his Batman's most human and vulnerable episode to date. Uh, and we, the viewer, are um, treated to more than just psychology. Yeah, uh, we're treated. We, we've got like a front row seat to like his core struggles. Yeah. As a hero, yeah, uh, excellent episode, best possible use of the characters, and it tells a sentimental but very real story. Mm-hmm. And another like home run episode that doesn't have a flashy villain in it. No, you know, no, it's, it's just amazing. Well, because it's such a human story, right? That it's yeah. almost like it doesn't matter who the villain is, and, well, and that's why you get away with someone like Jazzman, who's like a nondescript villain. And you don't want, right? You almost don't want a flashy villain because it would pull away from the story. We'll get our flashy villain next week. Oh, jeez. Um, quite literally. Ranking in the series, where is it for you? It's up there, man. It's probably in the top, what, I don't know, third maybe? Top 20? Yeah, I think I have it higher than you. I'd probably put it, if it's not in the top 10, which it might be, mm-hmm. I think it's just outside it. I think it's that good. All right. The only thing that keeps it, and I, I know I, I'm being like a little kid when I say this, I do really like the villains episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I would probably rank those higher. Yeah. Uh, even the artsier ones. Um, so it might be right outside the top 10, but even then it would be like 11 or 12. Yeah. Maybe just past where I put those two face episodes. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. It's really, really good. Yes. Um, well, 
next time, oh Mike boy. will be taking us through the, I wouldn't say popular episode, but I will say significant episode. It's more significant than anything else. Right. But there's off balance. An episode called Off Balance. No Red Claw, even though I did the Red Claw voice. No Red Claw. This is a Red Claw similar episode. Honestly, she should have been Red Claw. I no, no, I'm sorry. Talia should Excuse have been Red me. Claw, yeah. Red Claw should have been Talia. Right. From the beginning. They should have introduced Talia in the first episode with the with the Society of Shadows. Fully agree. Uh, it's stupid, and I Fully don't know agree. why they didn't do that. We stand by that. All right. Uh, okay. I think that is everything I wanted to say. Did you have any, anything else? Yeah. So, um, thank you for joining us. This was the Spider-Man Tasticast for Mike Staub. I'm Jordan Hugh. Thank you, and see you next time. Same Spider time, same Spider channel. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>